I, uh, we've been going through the book of Peter and studying Peter. And in this book of Peter, we understand a few things. One of the things we understand is that as Christians, we have a different response than others. We are to respond differently. We have a way that we respond in the home. We have a way we respond in the church. We have a way that we respond in community. And our maturity is never more on display than when we respond biblically when we are persecuted or we are treated poorly because of our faith. And this is something that is going to come more and more as we live in this day that we live. I don't know if you're aware of it, but a couple of weeks ago in Oklahoma, there was a man preaching on the street and someone came up and shot him in the head in Oklahoma. This is the United States of America. Uh, we don't know for sure, according to the news, they don't know for sure if he was shot because he was preaching or if it was a random act of violence. But I want to tell you this. If you've been a Christian for very long at all, you will encounter someone that will mistreat you because you are a Christian. Perhaps you have friends that no longer will associate with you because you are a Christian, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. I know that some of our young people have told me that they have had teachers who really challenged them because they found out they were believers. And um, as they put oppression on them and made it difficult because they were believers. That's the world we live in. And he begins this text this morning with a question. This question troubled me. He said in verse number 13, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Who is he that will harm you? Now, this, this question, this statement, this question statement, I should say, it is not a promise that because you seek to do good that no one will ever seek to harm you. That's not what at all he is saying. What he is saying is this. Who is it that's going to try to harm you? Well, I'll tell you, there is one called the thief, the devil. John 10.10 says this. The thief comes to kill, to destroy, to, uh, to destroy you, and he desires to kill you. He wants to steal from you. If you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, I know some people think that spiritual warfare is a bunch of mystical stuff. It's not. It is real. And the devil wants to do three things in your life. The first thing he wants to do, he wants to rob you, he wants to steal. He wants to rob you of your joy in the Lord. You know why? Because the joy of the Lord is the, your strength. That's where your strength comes from. And so he wants to take your joy. He doesn't want you, he wants you fussing and fuming and fighting and arguing and never having any peace. He wants to steal from you. He's a robber. He's a liar. The second thing he wants to do, he wants to kill you. The devil would love for your life on this earth to end. If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if you were to die and be out of the way, he doesn't ever have to worry about you telling someone about Jesus Christ. He doesn't ever have to worry about you living a life pleasing to God. The devil wants to steal from you. He wants to kill you and he wants to destroy you. He wants to take your testimony. He wants to take your testimony from you. He wants the world to look at you and say, there's nothing to that Christianity. Look, there's no difference in him and the world. That's what the devil does. And the devil is the one who will work in people, through people, to try to cause you harm. 
There is no light at all in the devil. Do we understand that? I've heard people all the time saying, well, if I saw the devil, I'd do this, that, and that. If you saw the devil, you'd wet your pants. You've never been around evil like that. I've never been around evil like that. There is no light in him at all. He is complete darkness. And the church, we've got to wake up to this fact that every day we live in a life, our lives, you are in a battle, not only with your flesh, but you battle the devil. Because he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's real. And so we come to this text and we say, who is it? It's the devil that wants to harm you. Now notice in verse 14, but in contrast, if even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Now here's the thing. This is important to understand this. He's talking about suffering for righteousness' sake. He's not just talking about things that we go through, things that happen to us. Have you ever had one of those days where something happens, something happens, something, it just one thing after another keeps happening? We've all had those days. He's not talking about that. He is talking about when people come after you because you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And what he wants us to see is we as Christians are the only one that can break the cycle of rendering evil for evil. We're the only ones that can break that cycle. We're the only ones through the power of the Holy Spirit that can stand and say, I'm not going to render evil for evil. I'm not going to turn around and retaliate against you. I'm going to leave it with the Lord. Now, I know what our flesh is saying. Our flesh is saying right now, but you don't know what they've done to me. That's irrelevant. What have you done to Jesus Christ? That's the real issue. Your sin sent Him to the cross. And He loves you, and He's willing to forgive you. So who are we to want to be retaliatory in nature? When you do that, you're following the devil. You're not following the Lord. And so when this comes, what's going to happen? How can we get through this? When these people attack us for being believers, and they come after us, because we're believers, how do we respond? What do we do? That's the, that's the real message. This is what Peter wants you to know. The first thing he tells you is do not be afraid of their threats. Look at verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. He quotes Isaiah eight twelve. I love how Peter goes back and picks up Scripture to make his point. Don't be afraid of their threats. Do you know that fear is a liar? There's a song about that, right? Do you know that the Bible tells us that fear is a spirit? Uh, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God has not given us the spirit of fear. If God has not given us that spirit, where does that spirit of fear come from? I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from the devil. And the whole, you got to see this, the whole point, the whole point of fear is to stop you. That's the whole point of fear, is to stop you. And that's this design, it's nature. It's not from Christ. So listen to me, if we are going to maintain our following of Christ, we're going to maintain our testimony when people attack us, what do we do? We don't stop. We don't quit. You don't quit. You resist the devil by not Quitting. He wants you to quit. 
That's why he's going to attack you. He wants you to worry about what's going to happen tomorrow and down the road. And if I do this, what will they do to me? And what will they do to my family? I could lose my job. He wants you worrying about all that. Just don't quit. Don't give in to fear. That's what he says. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Why? Because God's going to fight your battles. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay thee. God's going to fight your battles. Now, I know in the heat of the battle, it's hard. Is anybody with me? It's hard, isn't it? I don't know about you all, but I struggle. I'm a hothead by nature. And I want to fix it. But I make a mess of it. I make a complete mess of it. And that's what the devil wants, remember? He's seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants me to destroy my testimony. But what do I do? Don't stop. Don't let fear take a hold of you. Don't let it take a hold of you. Verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The second thing he tells us to do is to sanctify the Lord as Christ in our hearts. The Lord God, that's what it means. When he says sanctify, it means to set apart. It means that we have to surrender multiple times a day to the Lordship of Christ. I wish I were one of those people that could get up in the morning and say, Okay, Lord, I surrender my life to you, and everything I do from that point till I go to bed is under the Lordship of Christ. But I find myself, that gets me through my coffee. And then I watch something on television. I'm all mad and irate and fuming. And I have to go back and surrender to the Lordship again. And throughout the day, I get behind the Sunday driver on Monday morning. You know what I'm saying? You know. And uh, But listen, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Make Him Lord of life. In your hearts. Listen, this is where it starts. It's in your heart. This is where the battle's won. In your heart. Sanctify the Lord. Make Him Lord of your life. Make Him the Lord of your life. Surrender to the Lordship of Christ. The third thing He tells us to do is He says in the last part, Verse 15, to everyone, and be ready, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We have to be prepared to defend our faith. Give an answer is the, the Greek word means to defend our faith. Now listen to me. Here's where we're, we're getting off on this. Defending your faith is not getting in a, an, a, a battle on Facebook. That's not what he's talking about. No one has ever read one of my Facebook posts and said, Oh man, I think I'll change my mind. The point I want to say to you is, this being prepared to defend your faith means so much more. Listen, there's a presumption here made by Scripture. The presumption is this, that they have to see it in you before they ask the question. So being prepared to defend your faith means that your faith is being evidenced or manifested by your conduct and your life. They see Christ in you, and then they'll ask the question. If you're no different than they are, why are they going to ask you the question of the hope that lies in you? If you're no different than they are, they know what they have. 
But it's seeing the power of Christ in you that causes them to ask you the question. And then he says, in a gentle and respectful way, that's what it means for meekness and fear, a gentle, respectful way, you tell them the answer of the hope that lies in you. Now, hope is not like we think it today. Bible hope means a confident expectation. It's not a a, a wish. It's a confident expectation. And when people see this in you, your confident expectation in the Lord, and they see your conduct, and they want to know what's different about you, that's when you give them the answer. And you are prepared to give them an answer. And by being prepared to give them an answer means you are revealing faith through your life. The questions come because they see your hope. That's why, that's, how they, that's why they ask the question. Because they see your hope. And this will help you in that day that they're attacking you. Number four, keep your conscience clear. Look at verse 16. Having a good conscience. Having a good conscience. Listen. Your conduct matters. When, when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. When they see your good conduct in Christ, a clear conscience, a clear conscience is, is something that's a value. People don't want to talk about conscience today. They're, They don't want to think about things. They don't want to think about conviction. They don't want to think about right and wrong. They just want to go and live their lives and do what they want to do. But listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, we're going to stand before Jesus Christ one day. We're going to give an account to Him. And we need to know that if someone's accusing us of being a brawler or something and we're fighting with them to try to prove our point, We're not doing ourselves any favors. You can make a stand on the Bible and not be a jerk. You can make a stand on the Word of God and not fight about it. You can be gentle and in a respectful way say, I'm sorry you see it that way, I see it this way, and I must be faithful to the Lord and His Word, so I, I, I can't do this. I'll pray for you. Um, I, I got to go. Keep your conscience clear. Now, he gives us three results. Three results. As we follow him in this way. When we, do, when we respond this way to the attacks that come on us, he gives us three results. Number one, vindication. Vindication is important. Vindication is important. Notice what he says in verse 16. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, when they're attacking you and they're saying all these bad things about you and they're going after you and they revile your good conduct in Christ, then they'll be ashamed. Now, I don't know. I'll just be honest with you. I don't know if he's talking about at that time or at the time of Christ when when they stand before Christ. I don't know that. But I will tell you this. If you and I follow Jesus in this, He will vindicate us. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament. 
how his brothers sold him into slavery, how he went from there to Potiphar's house, and then he was falsely accused and thrown in prison. And he ended up second in command of all of Egypt and saved, saved the faithful remnant of people by his dad and his brothers coming over during the famine in Egypt. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. Think about the, the three in the furnace, the fiery furnace. All of these were vindicated. Daniel never had such a good night's sleep. He fluffed the mane of that line up and he laid his head down on there and he snored like a baby. But guess what? The king was troubled. If you go back and read the text, he was the one that was up all night worried about it and he went to the pit that next morning because he's worried about it. Those men that were thrown into fire, they weren't alone in the fire. They came out of the fire and didn't even smell like smoke. That's amazing. I'll tell you, they were vindicated. They were vindicated. God will vindicate you. You don't have to vindicate yourself. You don't have to explain yourself. You just have to be right with Christ. I just have to be right with Christ. The second thing is Christ-likeness or maturity. Verse 17, For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Everyone expects to <coughs> um, suffer when they do evil. I mean, that's just natural expectation. Nobody expects to suffer for doing good. But he says if it's the will of God, it's better, it's better for you to suffer for doing right than it is for doing wrong. Notice verse 18. For Christ, he turns to Christ, also suffered once for the sins, the just for the unjust. You see that? The just, he was just. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. Suffered for you and for me who did everything wrong. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. You think about this. Jesus Christ died on the cross taking your sin so He could take you to God so you didn't have to bear your own sin. That is, that is the opposite of rendering evil for evil. He took evil upon Himself. He took all of our sin and died in our place so that we could go to heaven. When we live like this and we forgive and we don't retaliate, we're being Christ-like. Verse 19, By whom also He went and preached to the spirits in prison, who were formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of different interpretations of this text. There are some people who believe that Jesus, in between his death and his resurrection, while he was buried, he went to Hades and he preached to the souls of those who were in chains, who were bound, and he preached. Some say that he was going to give them a second chance. That's nowhere in Scripture, not even close. Some say that he went between his death and his resurrection. He went there and he preached to the spirits to just tell them, uh, 
you know, to pronounce their final judgment upon them. I tend to think the text means, and I cannot be dogmatic about this, I want to be honest with you, there are probably 14 people in here have 14 different opinions on it. I will tell you this, the way I see it is, the Spirit of Christ was preached in the days of Noah to these people. They rejected, and when they rejected now, because they rejected now, they are in, they're in hell. They're in hell right now. They're, they were disobedient back then, and when they came and preached, the gospel was preached to them in the days of Noah through the Spirit of Christ, and now they're being held there. I don't, that's the best I can give you, and I want to be totally honest with you. And there are other people who will say, well, these were the angels that procreated with all that. And I'll just tell you, the Bible teaches that angels don't procreate. So there's a problem with that. It was very clear. And I don't want to get off on this because that's not the point. The point is Jesus Christ is our example. What is he saying? His spirit went and preached in the days of Noah. Do you remember what the days of Noah were like? It was continual evil. The Bible tells us that's why the flood came. There was no regard for life. There was no regard for anything. And just in those days, he went and preached and those people refused. In our day, they will refuse, but we still keep on being right with God and we keep responding the right way because we are not accountable to them. We are accountable unto God. And He, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our, our example. Verse 21, the third thing is the testimony of the power of the gospel. There is also an antitype. Now, <clears throat> this says antitype in the New King James Version. This, this threw me off, I'll be honest with you. Matter of fact, I really thought that that was a bad translation because in my mind, what I think antitype is, what I thought antitype was, is not what it means. What it means is represented by a symbol. Represented by a symbol. A lot of people read this passage and they say, Oh, see, he's saying you've got, to be saved. you've got to be baptized to be saved. That's not what he's saying. He's clear to say that. He's saying it is a picture. He is saying it is a symbol. And it is a symbol. And this, he's using this symbol to tell you of the power of your testimony of the gospel. Your changed life. Notice what he says in verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh. So right there he's showing you it's not, it's not, doesn't have the ability to save anyone. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying this. He is saying not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is the baptism is a picture of the death, the burial. I take them under the water and I bring them up out of the water. It symbolizes the death, the burial, the resurrection. It is a picture of the gospel. And your life, if you are a born-again believer, is a picture, a testimony, a symbol of the gospel. You are a new creation created in Christ Jesus. And when we respond in this manner, we are vindicated, we're Christ-like, but we proclaim a powerful testimony. What kind of testimony do we send if we act like the world? 
If someone comes against you because you're a believer in Christ and they came up, up to that word harm means to oppress or to persecute or to afflict or to cause harm. If someone comes to do that to you and you're not afraid, what kind of testimony is that? If they come to you and, and they try to do that and they see that you're, 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 uh, you're surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, they see that you're at, co- at total peace, <coughs> your conscience is clear, and you're ready to give them an answer and you don't retaliate and you take it. What does that say about you? It says that you're different. And that is the kind of situation in which someone's going to ask you, what is the hope that lies in you? How can you do that? I would love to come up before you and stand and preach things about how we could all you know, prosper and do all these things and we all leave feeling great about ourselves. But this is Bible. And there are far more people who have ruined their testimony by their response. See, you can't control anyone's behavior, but you can control your response to their behavior. And I'm not preaching at you or to you. I'm preaching to myself. Because this is a powerful testimony. A powerful testimony. And as a result, God will vindicate you. He will reward you. God's not going to bring you all the way and just leave you by the wayside. What kind of God is that? God's not just going to let you suffer persecution and Him not take care of you. You say, but what about the disciples and the apostles and all of them? What about them? Their death said more of their testimony than their lives did. When Peter, who denied Christ, when he was crucified upside down because he didn't find, feel like he was worthy to be crucified in the same manner of Jesus Christ, what was that saying of his testimony? What was it saying of the testimony when they boiled John and tried to kill him? And he didn't try to fight back. What did it say of those early Christians who translated English, the Bible into English, and because they were daring to translate it into English, they were burned at the stake. Many of them were killed, and then they were burned after they were killed. They dug up their bones and burned them again. And we, church, have not had to face any of that stuff. And yet... We don't have that powerful testimony because we don't respond in the right way. When I see this text, and I I read verse 22, because I, I want to end on this. Speaking of Christ who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. Jesus has all authority. His power through His Spirit can work in us to enable us to be this kind of Christian. 
Sometimes, I'll just be honest with you, some of the meanest people I've ever met in my life claim to be Christians. I'll just tell you the God's honest truth. Some of the most foul-spirited people I've ever met in my life have been, have claimed to be Christians. Now, I've met some wonderful people who follow Christ. And I believe that you all desire to follow Christ. Anyone can follow Christ when everything's good. Anyone can follow Christ when everything is good. But it takes the power of the Spirit of God standing in the power of Christ when someone's treating you bad because you're a believer in Christ and you respond properly. But if you respond by faith and you believe and you have faith in God and you honor His Word and you don't cower to fear, you surrender to the Lordship of Christ. It's in those very moments when we need to consciously surrender to Christ at that moment so we don't respond with evil and vitriol. It's in those very times that we are preparing ourselves to answer every man. The one that does you harm might not be the one that asks you the question, but it might be the one that's watching that asks you the question. Now, either you want to be right with God or you don't. Either I want to be right with God or I don't. And I know that this takes a lot. But he wouldn't put in his word if he wasn't willing to give us a spirit to do it. I think we need a revival, church, in men and women becoming Christ-like. We need it in our last days. We need gentleness. We need love. You don't have to go along with sin. You can be firm and still be loving and gentle and kind. You can still be that way. It's all about being right with Jesus Christ. So when they come at you, listen, and Satan's going to come at you. You don't have to give in because you have the power of Jesus Christ available through His Spirit so that you can not fear them, so that you can surrender to His Lordship, so you can be ready to give an answer and you can keep your conscience clear. The longer I live, the more I see some of my own behavior is what causes me the most angst in my life. My own responses is what bothers me. Sure, people say things from time to time and it really bothers me. But my, the way I respond bothers me more and more the closer I get to Christ. I want to be right with Him. And I hope you do too. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Just for a verse.